0: kind of set the table see what I did there set the table and that's the look she gives me when she's like don't ever do that again all right (laughs) dad jokes right come on somebody but I want to set the table for you and I, I want to kind of take us back to the beginning just really fast before I dive into the table today and why we're going here I kind of got to build a foundation at the beginning of time the spirit of God hovered above the earth And there was nothing. It's just a void, uh, uh, waters on the earth. And so God began to create the earth. And He began to create day and night. And He separated the heavens and the earth. And um, He created the animals. And He formed man. And we could go into a whole series about the importance of the creation of man. Everything else, He spoke into existence. But man, He took time to stop and form and mold and then breathe His life into us. The breath that we breathe is not even ours, it's His. That's a good God. That He continually sustains us on His breath. And I am very thankful for that. But He he did that and He set them into the garden. He said, I need you to tend the garden. I need you to take care of the earth. And that is why God created man. And in that worship comes and all of these different things throughout our lives. And God loved man. God loves man. Let me say that again. And when I say man today, I mean man and woman. I'm not trying to just specify to one type of person. When I just, in the, in the Bible, it usually just says man, but that means man and woman, okay? Man is humankind, okay? All right, just want to set that. Um, so he was in love and is in love with man, and he would come down in the cool of the day and walk with them in the garden. He spent time with them. God wants to spend time with us. He wants to hear us. He wants to see our struggles. He wants to talk to us about them. He wants to hear our wins and our failures and our successes. He wants to hear our laughter. He wants to hear us crying. He wants to spend time with you. That is the way He intended it to be, but only in the way that man can do. We screwed it up. Anybody ever screwed up the plan of God in your life before? Amen. Those that are not saying amen, we will pray for you later. All right. (laughs) Because I I mean, I can put up all all hands, all feet at this point that we we have screwed up the plan of God so many times. But the beautiful thing is that we serve a merciful God. And we serve a God that is full of grace. That even when we mess up, He has a plan. Him messing up did not catch God off guard. God has seen from the beginning of time to the end of time. He is outside of it. There's a timeline that we all walk on and we only go from A to B. He's outside of that line and He has seen all things. So God already knew that there needed to be a backup plan and a B, C, D through Z, then double A all the way through double Z and then more. How many of us have ever royally screwed up that much? Thank you, Lord, for all those chances and that mercy. So in the Old Testament, they referred to this as the law. God gave the law to Moses. And there was things that they had to do. It was almost like a list of rules. Like, hey, do this, don't do this. Eat this, don't eat this. If this is going on in your life, do this. If this is going on in your life, do this. If somebody has leprosy, this is what you need to do to get them out of your life, you know, to get them out of the camp so that no one else is infected by it. There's another message in that as well. If there's something in your life that is gonna bring destruction and death, get it out of the camp. Can I get an Amen but that's not what we're talking about today. But God had all of these plans. The reason I say that is because you've got to realize everything that he said in the law is a foreshadowing of what Jesus was going to be when he died on the cross. Everything that was laid out in the law, Jesus did when he came and died for us. He fulfilled it all the way to the T so that there never has to be another sacrifice. Because that's how good God is. And that's how wonderful God is. You see, God did intend... Through all of this, he still intended to have a relationship with his people. And so he told Moses, he said, Moses, tell the people to consecrate themselves. They're in the wilderness. I'm going to come down on Mount Sinai and I'm going to, I'm going to be with them. So they, they, they cleaned themselves. They abstained from things the day before. They were ready. They were standing out there and then the presence of God began to fall on the mountain and an earthquake, thunder and lightning. I mean, like you've got to imagine like massive storm. And the people's response was, you know what, Moses, how about you just keep going into the presence for us and you come back and tell us what you hear. And so in that moment, God goes, okay, if that's the way we want it to be, then here's how it's going to be. No one will be able to come into my presence, but one of the Levite tribe, the priest. So therefore, generations, people could not access the presence of God as we do every Sunday. They had to have someone go in for them. Now, you read your Bible, the Holy Spirit would move upon people. Samson, the Holy Spirit would move upon him, and he'd have this miraculous strength. And then prophets, he would move upon them and then they would prophesy. And then, but at the end of it, the Spirit would always leave them. That's not the case with us. We are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Something that generations never got to experience lives inside of us. Something that they had to wait once a year for a person to go into for them. Can I tell you, God has a plan for you. God wants to be with you. This is not a picture of a God that the local church has painted, that He's a God, a wrathful God that stands up waiting for us to fail, wanting to strike us down. This is a God that says, I love my children. And whatever plan I need to put in place, I'm going to put in place because we're worth it. We are worth it. And so as time goes on, again, they have to have these redemption, uh, these rede- they have to have s- sacrifices for sin. And in that, you would bring the animal and it had to be unblemished, clean. You couldn't, it could not have anything wrong with it. It had to be a certain age. You would come, they'd lay their hands on it, almost like they're giving their sins onto that animal and then they would sacrifice it. Pour the blood on the altar, burn different parts of it at different times. I mean, there were so many different things that had to take place. But it was something that that, that someone had to do for us. Then they would put a grain offering and then they'd pour out a drink offering on it and then it would become this sweet aroma into the presence of God. But in the midst of all of this, God still had an original plan to be in a relationship with His people. I'm laying all this out because I want you to understand that, that His people continued to screw up they continue to mess up the plan he said i delivered you from egypt i'm bringing you into the promised land and you still can't get it right that's something you've prayed for for 400 years and you still can't get it right but you know what that's okay i'm going to be with you in the wilderness just as i was with you in egypt I still want to reveal myself and be there for you. Okay, now you don't want that? Well, now I'll put myself into the Holy of Holies knowing that there was a ultimate full redemption plan coming through His Son, Jesus. So today, if you're in the room and you're one of those people that have screwed up the plan of God or you feel like you've just botched life, you've just messed it up so much, I want you to know today God has a plan for you. That God does not look at your failure and write you off. He looks at you with love and grace and mercy and says, I have a plan for you. It's it's so big. And I believe so many times people get so caught up in pointing out our failures that we forget that God doesn't do that to us. He does call us to live a righteous life. Absolutely. Absolutely. That doesn't mean just write off things that we do. But he's not looking at you going, you can never come to me because you're dirty. You can never come to me because you're messed up. Because the one that wasn't, that had no blemish, went ahead and paid that price for us. So we don't have to come clean. We can come hurting and lost and broken and full of sin in our life. And he can take it and put the blood of Jesus on us and we are forgiven of it all. So again, the redemption plan has been set into motion. So Jesus came in the flesh and he lived a holy, righteous life. To cross-reference the Old Testament, as I said just a moment ago, he was a sacrifice without blemish. There was no sin in him. A lot of people, you know, as I was putting this together, some people are like, why did that even have to happen? Didn't he God? Like, couldn't he just snap his fingers and everything go back to the right way? But you got to understand, God is a righteous God. And when he is righteous, sin has no place in So unrighteousness cannot blend with righteousness. There has to be some type of price that's paid to wipe that away. And so God is like, I'm trying to help take care of what that is so that we can get it out. Just thank God that he did have that plan, that we didn't have to figure it out on our own. So he sent his son. And because of his son and his sacrifice, we can now have a seat at the table. So let's look a little deeper into this moment. Luke chapter 22 you've got your Bibles open them up to Luke chapter 22 as you're turning there those that might not have heard the first couple messages the table is a place that we read in in Psalms that it's a place that he prepares before us in the presence of our enemies it's a place that when chaos is going on around us we can draw near to him and find peace it's a place that we can come and find rest and we'll talk about that a little bit more. So when I reference coming to the table, we are talking about coming into the presence of God. Coming into the presence of God. So Luke 22, we're going to start in verse 14. It says, And when the hour came, He reclined at table. I, and, and can I pause for a moment? Here's how I like to do it. When I read, I like to imagine Jesus was chilling Jesus was chilling. It says he reclined at table. That man just kicked back hanging out with his homies, having a good time. That's what I picture when I come into his presence, that I'm going to recline at table with my Savior. I'm going to sit there and I'm going I'm to chill. Now, some of y'all are like, I cannot believe he's saying chilling with his homies in church right now, chilling with his disciples, hanging out with his people. He is just not a care in the world at this moment, even though the weight of eternity is on his shoulders. He's at this place because he knows that he's about to say something that's going to change our lives forever. So he's reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, uh, the hand of him who betrays me is, is, is with me at the table. Heavenly Father, I pray over this scripture today, God. I pray over this moment that as we begin to talk about the components of communion that we would really truly see what you meant when you said these things. That it isn't just something that we do at church because it's a, a, well, that's just what you do in church. You just take communion. We've done it our whole lives. But God, that we would really analyze these parts and realize that in it, there is so much freedom and salvation that comes because of the price that your son paid for us. So Lord, I pray against any distractions right now. I pray against our minds wandering. I speak against the enemy and our flesh that's trying to convince us we don't need to hear this word today, and that God, we would lean in, and we would hear your word today, and that we would never be the same. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we're talking about the components of communion. As you can see, that has been our components these past couple of weeks at the table But Jesus brings it in and makes it personal about the sacrifice that He's fixing to make. He hadn't made it yet. He hadn't died on the cross yet, but it's coming, and so He's laying this out. And so He talks about this bread represents my body. But I love in verse 19 what He says. It says, which is given for you. He said, this is my body, which is what? Given. Given. Everybody say given. given. He didn't say which is taken from me. He did not say, which was stolen from me. He did not say against my will, I had to do this because my dad told me. He said, this is my body, mine, and I am making the decision to give it up for you. That is a love like no other. The world cannot give you that kind of love. We have tried to find it in so many things and we have been found left wanting more. Because we have sought for something that was given for us and nothing in this world is given for us. It's always looking for what it can take from us. What benefit do you bring to the table? And at Jesus' table, you don't have to bring anything. Because right. He's got all that you need at the table and He's already brought it. Galatians 2.20, this brings whole new revelation to the Scripture. This is my favorite passage of Scripture and I've quoted this one multiple times in the past couple of weeks. It says, I am crucified with Christ. Yet I live, and the life that I now live, I live through Christ Jesus, who loved me and gave himself for me. Come on. He loved me so much that he gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. He chose death for me. He chose a gruesome death for me. He chose a gruesome death for you. He didn't just stand, you know what, I'm going to stand in front of this firing line and just get popped one time and I'm done. He took a beating. Because in that, there were things that had to come, and we'll read those scriptures in just a moment, some of the promises that come from why he got beat, why he took stripes on his back, what was really happening as his body was being broken for us. But I need you to know today, he did it willingly for you. Knowing that you were gonna mess up, knowing that you were gonna come and partake in the communion and you were gonna know what that life felt like, but someday the world was gonna just pull you off a little farther. He still said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The promise is still true for you today, and He's saying, This is my body which is given for you. Given, willingly chose to do it. And we know that He chose to do it because in the garden later, He's like, Lord, Ain't nobody around to hear this. You ever had these moments where you get alone with God and go, okay, I don't have to be so uptight right now. Lord, if you can take this cup, please take it. What you have asked me to do is way too much. But in that moment still, he showed us that it's not about our will. It's about the Father's will. And he said, no, I will freely give this. I will freely give this. He wanted you at the table. He knew the only way for you to get to the Father was through Him. And through that was through His sacrifice for atonement. Atonement is reparation, which means making amends for the wrong someone has done. Making amends. Fixing what someone else has messed up. He was doing that for us through our sin. He wanted you at His table. He wanted you to come and sit at His table and partake of the good things in life that we have. He chose it. How do we know that? He tells us in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, it says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Transparent moment. Always wondered what yoke was. I thought it was like oven egg. Just gonna be real with you. And if you thought that too, just breathe (laughs) takes time for us to learn what the Lord means through his word sometimes it's not even spelt the same way but I was just like why am I bringing my egg to him he got a better egg for me like again just being honest (laughs) but a moment in scripture when you yoke something yoke is something that you take with two oxen when you're beginning to plow the ground and you place this yoke it's heavy It's tight around them because you need them to stay on the path that is set before them so that harvest can come. But here's the thing that I learned this week. As you begin to yoke with another oxen, if you have a younger one that needs to know, you always put it with one that knows what it's doing. You don't ever just put two fresh ones together, you put it with someone that knows exactly what they're doing so that that one can keep the other one in line. Jesus is saying, Come and take my yoke which is light and is easy and I will teach you and I will help you to find rest for your souls can I tell you something some of us in here have been yoked up to the wrong things we have been yoked and linked with the things of this world and all that brings in our life is tiredness is weariness is wonder because you know why when you yoke up with the things of the world and you turn around to look at the harvest there is none There is nothing to show for the work and the hustle that you're putting in for all of these things of the world. But when you yoke up with Jesus and you hook up to his burden, which is light and is easy, you begin to plow and move forward and you look back and there's a bountiful harvest. We might have yoked up to someone who's at work or we might have yoked up to a bad relationship or a friend at school. It may be our pride. Some of us have yoked up with our pride. Ain't no way I'm going to do that Jesus thing. Ain't no way I'm going to give up the control of this yoke. I'm going to continue to carry it. You're going to continue to be tired and weary and broken and hurting. And he says, come and you can find rest today. Some of you barely made it today. Some of you crawled in this room today because you are so tired and you're so weary because there is no rest in that. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Jesus is telling you, you work with me. You will find rest for your mind, will, and emotions. It's a process, yes. I'm not saying you're going to come down here and then you're going to walk away and all those things that you do within your mind, your will, and your emotions are just going to go away. But now you're hooked up to the right person to learn from you just started. It takes that one sometimes for the other one to snatch its neck back into order to get it lined up. It ain't going to just be smooth sailing, but I promise you the one that's doing it, it's going to come in love, and it's going to come in grace, and it's going to come in mercy, and he's going to go, hey, you're starting to tend back to the ways that you were before you hooked up to this thing. Snatch you back, and come on, let's keep working. I promise you, you pick this up, you will find rest for your mind, your will, and your emotions. He's in it for us. This is what I'm trying to just prove to people today. That God is in this for us. He is in it for us. He wants to see us be victorious in life. He wants to see us live a righteous life. And he's literally trying to do everything. He's he's doing all the heavy carrying. He's doing all the heavy carrying. What we just say is yes. And then we link up and we get into our word and we listen and we learn from him. So there are two promises From him giving us his body. Look with me to John chapter 6. Just a few pages over, John chapter 6. These are two promises that he has given us from giving us his body. John chapter 6, verse 32. John chapter 6, verse 32. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from the heavens, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to Him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in Me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen Me, and yet you do not believe. Jesus is telling them what... Listen, you've got to understand in the Bible, they taught the teachings of Moses through every generation. They spoke about the Exodus highly for their entire lives. And so whenever you see, you see David reference it in the Psalms, you'll see him talk about when they were delivered from the Exodus. You hear things like Jesus saying, I know you heard about that stuff that fell from heaven, the manna that came and fed the people. That was not from Moses. That was from my father. And now he is sending you a bread that if you would partake in, you would never hunger or thirst anymore. We are promised that we will hunger no more. That is a natural desire in you that you are always searching to find and you are partaking in things that are not of the Lord. And your hunger continues to grow. You are not partake, You partake. There is something inside of you that is designed to search for the things of God. Designed to search for the things of God and we have tried to find it in everything else but in Him. Now some have come and they've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And they are no longer hungering and thirsting for the things of the world. Can I tell you something? When you do that, you become hungrier and hungrier and hungrier. Your, your appetite is never fulfilled. And can I tell you something? When someone's hungry, it don't matter what gets put in front of them. They're going to devour it. And they will not ask questions. They're just going to continue to devour, devour, devour because they're so hungry. And that's what some of us in this room have been doing. We have been stuffing ourselves with things that we, we haven't even stopped to pay attention if it's even good for us. We don't even ask questions about it. We don't even analyze it a little bit. We don't even pray a little blessing over it. We just scarf it down. We just continue to consume because we're so hungry and nothing is fulfilling that desire. Anybody ever physically been there? Can I ask that first before I talk about spiritually? You ever been at your house and you're like, man, I got the munchies. And then you start eating and you go, no, that wasn't what I wanted. And then you go and find something else and you keep eating. and You're like, no, that ain't. Wh- you ain't even hungry anymore. You're just like, now I'm just eating, trying to find out what that, I'm trying to scratch an itch that I can't reach. It's the same thing in our spirit. Your spirit, man, is hungering for something and you're constantly throwing things of the world at it and it's going, that's not what I'm yearning for. You have not satisfied it yet. And the Lord wants you to know, come, sit at my table, and I will give you the bread of life, and you will hunger no more. You will hunger no more. The Lord told me this. We were at staff retreat this week, and we were in a moment, and I'm constantly head on a swivel for what the Lord wants to say, and he gave me a word for somebody in the church today. So here it is. Open your spirits and your hearts to receive it. Says you've been sitting at a table that someone has tried to offer you things that have only hurt you or left you wondering and wanting more. He wants you to know you're sitting at the wrong table. It is a table that has not been prepared for you in the presence of your enemies, it's been prepared by your enemies. And the things that are being put before you are only going to bring death, they are only going to bring death but Jesus prepares a table for you that satisfies and brings a love that will never leave you nor forsake you. You've reclined at the wrong table long enough and here at this table, he is offering himself the bread of life today. Lord, I thank you for that word. I pray that whomever needed to hear it today, that it would just, I don't care if they hear anything else in this message today, but that what I just said has awakened their spirit. And that it would begin to stir inside of them and leap because they have found what they have been looking for. Their spirit is leaping because they're about to find some rest. Their soul, their mind, will, and emotions is going to find rest in you. They've reclined at the wrong table for too long. An enemy, we speak to you and rebuke you in the name of Jesus. We're coming for you. We're coming for you. Second promise that we get from his body is found in Isaiah 53, 5-6. Isaiah 53, 5-6. I'm going to read it to you real quick. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We quote this scripture a lot for the passage that says, by his wounds, we are healed. And we stand firmly on that. I believe in a healing God. I believe in a God that heals our physical bodies. Jesus did it. And Jesus said, the things that I do, you will do even greater things. So we've got to realize that the Holy Spirit that was working through Jesus is in us. And we can have access to that and we can walk it out. But two things I really want to point out of this passage of scripture. It says that he was was pierced for our transgressions. Transgressions are outward actions. When you transgress, you're crossing a boundary. Our word is trespass. So those of us in the room that are doing things against the will of God, He paid for it. He's saying those transgressions and those trespasses that you've committed, I have taken those on and I was pierced for them. You can be set free of it today. The next thing that He says is He was... He was crushed for our iniquities. He was inwardly bruised. Why? Because iniquities are a sin to our inner character. They are the things that happen in our minds. They are the things that happen in our hearts. When Jesus says, because we we always talk about the scripture, it's like, man, I, I didn't commit adultery. Jesus says, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you have already committed adultery with her. That is iniquity. That is sin within us. And can I tell you this again? This is something that was taught to me, and I I believe it wholeheartedly. Jesus wasn't doing it to suck off fun. He was doing it to teach you true freedom. That you can be free on the outside and on the inside. Well, I have not committed murder. If you look at your brother with hate, you've already murdered him in your heart. Jesus is saying, everything outwardly, everything inwardly, I've already paid for it. You can be set free. So he was wounded for our transgressions, our outward movements, and he was bruised for our iniquities, our inner motivation. That's huge. He didn't just pay a small price and ask for all the warranties. He said, no, I'm all in. I'm going to take care of all of it. Not, hey, I'll pay for the registration and you have to pay any charges that come. Anybody ever been stuck with those? Your in-app purchases? Come on. Now I'm talking your language like I hate those things. My kids download those games all the time. Or you pay 99 cents and you get the game, and then it's $40 to keep it running. Jesus said, No, it's all free. I've already paid for it. I guess I'm talking to the millennials in the church. Some folks are like, In app purchases? What is that? What's an app? <laughs> but it's just for us to completely understand that he's paid it all. So the enemy cannot lie to you, he's going to try. That those thoughts that you think or the things that you feel in your heart, He's going to try and bring those things up and throw them in your face and you can look at Him and go, no, He was pierced for my transgressions and He was wounded for my iniquities. He took care of all of it when He died on the cross for me. So that's the second promise. Now let's look to verse 20. This is my blood which is poured out for you. We could get into the significance of it being poured out and what drink offerings were representing. Again, as I talked about earlier, In sin offerings, they would sacrifice the body, bring a grain offering, and then they would pour out the drink offering on it to finalize it. There were drink offerings when Jacob, when God changed his name. He poured out a drink offering on the altar, and so we could look at the fact that, hey, our name has been changed, and this seals the finalness of it that we're pouring all things out that were there onto the altar of God, and now I am new. And I am made whole. We can look at those things and we can go. But I need to point out something even more specific to you. Leviticus 17, 11, Just write it down. Go back and read it. It says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. It is the blood that makes atonement. Blood had to be spilled for us to be atoned of our sins. It had to happen. And Jesus knew that. So when He says, I have poured out this cup, it represents my blood and I have poured it out for you. He is saying, I have done it all. I have paid the price completely. Him being wounded and being beaten for our transgressions and our iniquity and healing wouldn't be the only thing that would bring salvation. His blood had to be shed and He had to die. But He knew even in that moment the weight of what He was going to do that it meant what it meant for you and for me to find a place at his table. Some are sitting in this room and you're searching for something. Nothing in your life has made sense ever. And Jesus has prepared a table before you. And all we have to do is come and partake of the sacrifice that he brought before us. Devonte, if you'll come back up for just a moment, my man. I want to close out with a few more thoughts. I'm so thankful that God asked us to do it in remembrance of Him that we were able to take something and look at it and go, you know, this represents His body. And as we take it and we partake in it, we can remember what He actually did. It's nice to be reminded at times. I think sometimes we forget the real cost of what it took for our lives. But He said this bread represents my body, and it is given for you. I'm willingly doing it. And then he talks about the cup that is poured out. That it represents my blood, the one thing that covers all sin. It's the final thing that needed to be done for all of us to be able to enter into communion with the Father. And I want to remind you, the intention of God at all times was for us to be in relationship with Him. And he knew there was no cost too high for us to be able to partake in that. So, pastor, how do we partake in that today? I'm here to tell you today, just taking communion is not your salvation. Taking communion is just a remembrance. There is only one way to the Father, and that is through Jesus. But I'm going to give you a passage of Scripture, and we're going to walk this out in just a minute. It says Romans 10, 8 through 10. But what does it say? The word is near you. In your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Man. He didn't say you got to come and you got to give in the offering. He didn't say you got to go get cleaned up and get your life right and live correct for two days at least. He just said all you got to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Confess that Jesus is the Lord of our lives. What does that mean? Pastor, what, what does it mean to be Lord of my life? That we are submitting ourselves to His way of living. We all love to have a Savior. But when it comes time to call him Lord, some of us push away from the table for a moment. But can I tell you, as I said in that scripture earlier, his yoke and his burden are light and easy. He's in it for you. He sees you. He sees the things that you've tried to fill the void with. He sees the things that we've tried to to put before him. And he's saying today, I still want to save you a seat at my table. What I did all those years ago is still able, that price has still been paid. It is not anything that anyone else has to ever pay again. I did it. And I willfully did it because I want to spend eternity with you. I want to live this life. And eternity does not start in heaven. Eternity starts the moment we say, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. That's when eternity begins. That is the moment that eternity begins when we pray that prayer. It's not something that we're waiting for. So today, I'm going to give you the chance to pray this prayer. I'm going to give you a chance to walk away from the table that you've been sitting at and come to his table and say, those things have stole my joy. Those things have stolen my peace. Those things have stole my sleep for far too long. And now I need to go to the one that willingly gave everything for me. The word says he showed us his love that while we were yet sinners, before we had ever done anything for him, Christ died for us. You will not find that anywhere else. Everything else in your life will bring emptiness, will bring destruction, and will want something from you. And all he's asking you to do is say yes to him.